On this episode of the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association, we welcome Robert Pomazak, head football coach at St. Charles North High School. We talked to Coach Pomazak about practice planning, utilizing your assistance practice, branding your program, integrating strength and conditioning in your program, and so much more. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. As always, uh, we start with our opening tip. I guess we can call this one the the kickoff, maybe, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Change change the terminology. But so, Coach, you've been a head coach at St. Charles North like for a decade now, and then another decade as an assistant as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of tell us about, you know, maybe what's made you stay. What about St. Charles North football, the school, the community? Um, and, you know, just a little bit more about what you guys got going on there. Oh well, yeah, thank you uh, for the opportunity to to talk about it. Um, yeah, so this is going to be my 23rd year of teaching uh, in some capacity. So my first 12 years were spent at a high school just outside of O'Hare Airport, and I was fortunate enough to get the position here at Elk, at uh, St. Charles North in 2013. And I think what keeps me in coaching is just every year feels like it's a brand new year. Like there's something so unique to every single group of kids that come in and. As a head coach, the job is extremely challenging. So every year as a head, as a head coach, the challenges change because the dynamics of uh, education change or the kids change or you change as an individual or family dynamics change. And so it just kind of keeps me on my toes. And I don't know, I'm, I'm a creator at heart. Like when I think about like what is what makes me happy as far as coaching goes, like I love the football, the X's and O's, but I, I'm definitely more of a uh, of a I think it's left brain type of person who I just like creating things, and I like seeing things go from conceptual conceptual ideas to uh, the the paper and then planning and then if you're lucky enough you get a chance to kind of see those dots connect at the end and it and you you create a really cool moment for people and that's what keeps me doing it uh, to be honest with you and I've thought a lot about that question over these last couple of years since COVID to be to be perfectly frank. So uh, while we're on the the creative mindset for for our listeners that don't know, and if you follow Coach on Twitter and and on the many platforms he's on, you know he does a great job of of talking about the obviously the buzzword buzzword of culture. But one of the things I find fascinating, you do, Coach, is you actually talk about and put on paper branding your program, and I think that's maybe a little bit of that creative aspect that you bring. Um, so. I kind of want to do this in a couple parts, but what are, what are some of the major things you talk about in program program branding and kind of why is that important to start to brand your program? Well, I think to kind of like take a step back from the, the branding and, and look at the overarching job of a, of a head coach, whether it's football or what have you, but specifically in football where it is, it can be the, be a more, uh, I guess, visible program in the school um, you know, I kind of look at it like it's a it's a business, you know, and the opportunity to strengthen all the different systems that are in the business, you know, and and placing an importance on all of them. Uh, but, you know, the strategic planning behind like marketing and public relations and branding is something that I, I don't think can be understated. You know, it, football seems to be back on the rise. Numbers are coming back up, which is fantastic. The youth programs, at least in our area, are really strong. Um but we have to compete with 
you know, a, a lot of other different opportunities, you know, more single sport athletes are, are, are popping up every single year. And so my ideas of like branding is just, first of all, creating something that people can be proud of. That's, that's the biggest brand and giving them experiences that they'll talk to their friends about. So it's like, you know, it's word of mouth. It's that guerrilla marketing tech technique where, you know, the experience you provide people is often the best type of advertising that you can do, but then meeting the kids where they're at, you know, looking at what they're looking at on social media, whether it's on Snapchat or on Instagram or on Twitter and kind of providing that experience within your program so that um, they feel like, yeah, like we're getting the, we're, like coach is giving us the best he possibly can. And, you know, and then getting your program out there through avenues like this, you know, I don't, ever want to turn down opportunities to talk about our program because some of the best compliments I can get is when we have a kid who's on vacation for spring break here, you know, come up in a couple of weeks and he's going to be out maybe somewhere across the country and he's going to have a, a St. Charles North shirt on and somebody's going to walk up to him and say, Hey, I heard your coach speak. Um, or I read one of your coaches articles, or uh, I saw what he does on social media. I saw what you guys do. That's pretty awesome. Like those types of things definitely build a their belief in me from a, a from a competency standpoint. Like you know, coach is really kind of doing what he can to bring our program to the to the top, and it also just kind of spreads the message. And to me, like the message of of coaching and our program is just you know creating servant leadership and you know it's and diving into the things that maybe have been avoided when we were playing. Um, where vulnerability is okay and talking about those types of things with your athletes and, and kind of putting it on a pedestal that maybe is often behind the curtains instead. So my follow-up to that a little bit is, so you're, you have a new head coach. Again, it could be any sport. It could be football, basketball, baseball, whatever. And they're taking over their program. What would you say to that coach to go about maybe establishing that brand, establishing that, that identity, that, that when they see your St. Charles North North logo now, they they have certain thoughts. What would you say to that new coach taking over, looking to establish their brand? Now, the first thing I would tell them is is um, talk to your administration, find out find out exactly you know what avenues you can utilize from a marketing standpoint. Of you know, can we use Instagram? Because in our district, we cannot. Like in our district, the only approved social media for us to use from a team standpoint is Twitter. Um, so getting an idea of what 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 avenues you can use um, and then creating your plan with with your staff and your key stakeholders on how you want to get that done. You know, for me, it's it's oftentimes looking at what's going happening at a division one program and trying to pull some of that into our program, um, whether it's, you know, a marquee in the locker room or maybe it's uh, a brand name, you know, like obviously the kids all want to have the different types of logos. So, so, you know, if you, if you're lucky enough to secure uh, a deal with like Nike or Adidas or, you know, Jumpman, like those things do a lot for your program, but it's, it's can't happen for everybody because they're hard to get. Um, but when you want to start that out, I would say, you know, get it on paper, get it up on the board, just like you would your install plans. Um, this is a different, this is a different system and you have to kind of plan it the same way you would plan anything else um, and, and have some intention behind it and, and really try to have some checkpoints and benchmarks of, okay, first 30 days, I'm going to establish so, a social media presence where we're going to get our kids out there and people can see what they're doing. Um, first 60 days, we're going to have a philanthropic uh, event where we're going to make sure our kids are getting into the community. So 
um, the community knows that there's a new there's a new head coach and there's a, like maybe the program is shifting their focus a little bit. Um, and then from there, just highlighting what you kid, what your kids do on a daily basis so that they can, you know, they can start building a, a positive experience with you and the parents really feel like there's a positive experience there. And, you know, from a branding standpoint, I always try to connect our parents, our players and our, our community together so that um, it's kind of like this homogenous group where everybody has the is getting the same thing from a different access point. So like my players might get the jump man stuff. But then my parents are going to get, you know, they're going to get, you know, good Nike gear or something along those lines. And I know it sounds like maybe uh, it's it's just one of those things that it does. It does make a difference, in my opinion. Sometimes I think people want to have people want to see that you have the best of everything if you can if you can somehow manage it. And uh, that's kind of what I, I've always built our brand on is I want to make sure that we're, we're treating our kids like rock stars. And they're going to have the best of everything. If I can, if I can financially get it to them, I'm going to get it to them. And then from an emotional standpoint, they're going to get a really unique experience from that standpoint too. John, we got to get over there. If he's got jump man stuff, get in on that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's so cool. Though You're right. Those are so hard to like get and figure out and, and all that stuff. So um, so coach, you've had, you've had a really good string of success through there. You have eight out of 10 winning seasons, second place finish in state, uh, all kinds of accolades for your players program, but how do you fight the, the idea of success just coming, right? Like, Hey, we won last year. We won the past year. Yeah. I've been here for four years. We've won every, every year. Um, you know, that's the first part of the question. And then how do you keep your, your, coaches right working towards hey we always got to get better not just hey that worked last year so it's gonna work this year so just keeping your program going fighting that complacency a little bit whether it's schedule whether it's things Mm -hmm. you do in the off season whatever it may be yeah i think that's you know that's like the that's the i was speaking at a clinic a couple days ago and and the same question came up is you know how do you sustain success and it's like well first of all what's your definition of success right is it quantifiable or is or is it uh is it experiential in nature? Like, is it experiences you're providing? And the second thing is, let's say it is quantifiable, right? And and we've had we've had we've had moderate success at our school, but how do you sustain that? And how do you get the how do you get a new group of kids all pointing in the same direction? How do you get a new group of parents all pointing in the same direction? And it starts from day one. Like the second our season ends in November, starting December first, you know, we're back in the weight room. We're representing our program, mission, vision, and purpose to the same parents, the same players, um, but we're looking at it from a different lens. We're looking at it from the lens of, let's say, 2023, as it was opposed to 2024. And what did we learn from um, that year? You know, like you said, you know, two years ago, we were four and five, and we won two, we lost two games in overtime and lost a game on a last second field goal, you know, and so we did not make the playoffs. And when your program is expected to not only make the playoffs, but go deep into the playoffs, um, you know, that's a tremendous failure from a, a, a success standpoint on, of on the field. Um, so we use that, you know, I mean, we, we, we highlight those moments uh, when we aren't successful to kind of reignite and, and dissect it because that's forensic evidence as to what did we do well, what didn't we do well, and how do we target our everything we do from December 1 until August 6 when the season starts. 
how do we how do we build this thing with a very direct intention of of getting back to the moments that we all know that we want to get to and we just place a huge importance or at least i place a huge importance on every day um you know it's it's uh it's something that i think when i walk into the building i you got to have a plan and when we meet with our kids um for lifting or for uh performance training it's you know there's a message that i'm going to give them and it's going to be something about our values it's going to be something uh about our culture um and so it's more than just like picking heavy things up and putting them back down, you know, and just kind of showing them that these these moments that we're creating today make a difference in the long run. And there's no guarantee. Like, I'll tell them, like, I can't guarantee you're going to win a football game. Like, there's just no way I can put myself on that platform and say you're going to guarantee you're going to win. Um, but I do believe that if we if we do our part and we take care of, you know, the technical, tactical a mental, emotional, and physical aspect of our development that we're going to put ourselves in a really good spot to to be victorious. Um, so I think our kids have bought into that. And I think our parents have bought into that. Uh, the coaches, it's just getting, I mean, I'm fortunate, it's just getting really good people around you, you know, and guys who are hungry, have the same mission and vision and purpose that you do. Uh, and kind of, you know, I think in this day and age, it's tougher to, it, you got to really, got to make it palatable that's the biggest thing for me is as a head football coach is that it's like, the you know, I'm going to wake up and it's going to be what I do. As soon as I wake up, it's going to be the last thing I do before I go to bed and everything in between. And it's a passion, but I also have coaches who have families and little kids. And so I've got to make it palatable for them. And so giving them specific things that I need from them. Um, let me be the culture guy. Let me be the guy who's the off season guy so that you guys can go and coach another sport or reboot, uh, mentally and develop your, your skill sets from a technical part of the game. And then we have these touch points throughout the off season. Um, I write a, a biweekly newsletter to them that kind of keeps them in the loop of what's going on. Um, I ask them to be in the weight room one out of, uh, 10 weeks during our winter. And then again, during our spring cycle, We'll have a a winter eight month plan where I'll I'll represent our our mission vision and purpose, and then we'll have a personnel meeting in February, and then we have a staff summit in May where we present to each other um, and talk about why we coach and talk about you know what our personal philosophies are, and then we hit you know hit August or hit June with our summer camps and we're kind of all on the same page like. To me, it's just a matter of getting like I always envision like one gigantic arrow um, and all these little arrows. You know, every person in your program is a little arrow. And at first they're all pointing in different directions. And it's my job to like literally get to every single one of these people and start to find how I can turn them in the direction that I need them to get us to go forward so that we're all going in the same direction. Um, and so at first it's like this shotgun effect where it's like these blanket things. And then I start to target the kids and the parents and the players individually where I feel like their needs are and how can I best support you and how can I get you to get, you know, in the end game, I need us all pointing in the same direction with the same drive, um, you know, and that's, and, and that's, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. So I want to follow up on that a little bit um, and maybe go into the season with that. I know John does a tremendous job, just like you talk about, he gives his assistants blobs and, Slavs or defense or whatever. Yeah. So how you you said you give them specific responsibilities. Yeah. How does that go out through in the season? Obviously, you're overseeing everything, right? You right. have the final say. It's always the head coach has the final say. But when you get into like your first game, how is that you're you're divvying it up and working that 
again, to get the barrel point in the same direction because everybody has different ideas. They've been working on different stuff. Yeah. Make it all work come game day. Yeah. I mean, I it, it starts with just kind of really letting them know that you're the head coach of your position, you know, and uh, if, if you're going to be my art running backs coach, then you're the head coach of that position. And I, I want to see that effort of, of what a head coach would do, you know, and, and it's competitive, you know, it's competitive in our group, but I give every single one a, a coach's development plan in um, starting in February, where it lays out eight months of development coming from, let's say it's, it's my, let's say it's my defensive coordinator. Well, you know, we're going to, he's going to be in charge of doing his end of year analysis, getting that data from the previous season. Right. And then we're going to move into um, scheme to de- scheme development. So he's in charge of getting um, new scheme to us so that we can, we can digest it and start to learn it. And then we start our scheme meetings in March and April, and we start summer planning in May. Uh, we get, th- you know, he's in charge of the summer install calendar. We as a collective group will be in charge of different aspects of the installs. So, uh, me with the defensive backs, I'll be in charge of the pass game. My uh, D line and running back, our LBs coach, are in charge of the uh, ru- the uh, the middle, you know, mid skills, and then the defensive fronts is going to be my D line coach. And so we're in charge of creating all those presentations, getting them up on our platform for our playbook, um, and then teaching them into into the curriculum. And then when we get into the season, I mean, we really have it laid out like you know, during a game planning week, we do everything virtually. So uh, again, every single coach on the defensive side is going to have a specific part of the game plan that we're going to ask that they become the the master of, you know, like we're, we're they're the ones who are going to teach us what, what that team is doing so that if it's me and I'm looking at pass, if I'm looking at pass scheme, then I can go through and tell them, you know, Hey, here's, here's the rollout game. Here's their quick game. Here's their vertical game. Here's their action game. If it's pass protections, my my defensive line coach can tell us exactly how they're going to run their slide protection or their man protection, um, and we put this all on a Google on a Google sheet, and that's kind of what our defensive coordinator uses to start to compile his defensive game plan. And uh, you know, so we'll meet and we'll talk, and it's 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 fun to kind of and we're all talking at a high level about our specific area. And then we're learning from the other guy. And then the defensive coordinator obviously creates the whole game plan. And then we follow his lead for the rest of the week. So with that, it kind of now changing it to the players offseason development a little bit, you know, and through strength and conditioning work and through the offseason development, how do you kind of help your players develop their own personal goals Mm-hmm. Um, and get that commitment during the off season. Cause as you said, some of them do play other sports, have other commitments, right. et cetera. Um, and, and then, um, you know, how do you kind of balance this last part? And I think this is for every coach in every sport. How do you kind of balance that extrinsic motivation for players while attempting to develop that intrinsic motivation? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, so you can tell players to do things you can tell coaches to do things, but inevitably it's got to come from the heart, you know, like once, once you get people doing things because they, they feel like it's a a ritual to them, that's when you can kind of uh, not have to really, I mean, to me, they, they become a leader in your program. So, you know, with our players, we'll have them do an end of the season survey uh, of their own personal experience um, so that we can gain like the how we coach them through their lens and what they need from us. We'll also have them do uh, an end of year you know, player evaluation on themselves on what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, we also ask them how they feel like they best learn, you know, and 
what's the best way to uh, access you? Are you a guy who likes to be yelled at or are you a guy who needs an arm around you, you know? And um, learning that information about them from a social emotional standpoint allows us, especially me as, as like the strength and conditioning coordinator in the winter to really kind of like then build those relationships with those kids. From there, they also list a couple of benchmarks that they want for the off season, whether it's winter or spring, but it's just going to be like the basic block of that off season until summer. Um, and then I'll create personal goals for them as well. From we, we we try to build them in the physical, the technical, the tactical, and the the mental conditioning aspect of things. And so I'll give them uh, benchmarks that I would like to see them work towards. And we'll post those and, and we'll talk about those as we have our one-on-one -on -one player meetings. Like, so I'll meet with every kid one-on-one -on -one, um, and we'll go through those and talk about their experience as a player. And here's where I think you should be. Here's where you think you should be. Where are we, where are the commonalities? Where are we maybe off? And let's try to find some middle ground. Um, and then really, you know, back to the question of like, how do you get kids to get in? It's like, I, to me, it's just behaviors, like building these behaviors through consistent and clear communication with them. Like we, we have five specific, um, what we call our values, our, our North Star values that we are going to talk about extensively. And so like accountability is our, one of our biggest ones, right? And so what is being accountable? Well, accountability in our world is being present. So whether that's like for a Zoom meeting or whether it's for a lift or whether it's for practice, like accountability starts with being present. And so that means you want to be there. And if you're not there, you know, that's not showing that you're accountable, you know. And so we show the value of what that is by the outcomes, by winning championships or by having kids go on and have scholarships because their academics are good. You know, and so just trying to build those habits daily. So for us, it's accountability, it's investment, it's preparation, it's leadership, and it's selflessness. And so we will talk about what those behaviors are, what they look like at the different parts of our season, and then what are the potential outcomes that can happen if we do those things. Um, and our kids have bought into that message. Like they understand, you know, like, and if a kid can't come to a lift, it's not taken, it's not a punitive thing, but if you're not going to be there, then I better have a communication 24 hours in advance or as close to the moment that you found out you weren't going to be there because accountability is also communication. Like I, like if you can't be somewhere and you let me know, we're good, right? You know, we're fine because you're, you're building the behavior that I think is going to get us to where we need to be. You know, and, and so, yeah, maybe we're not investing as much time, but then you find that kids will be like, hey, coach, I can't be there, but can I come in in the morning? And now all of a sudden, not only are they showing you behavior, but they're showing you investment because they want to invest in themselves. Um, and we are kind of selfish in the off season. Like we do tell them, like, this is your time to be selfish. This is your time to focus on you because leadership for us always starts with the individual. If we can't lead ourselves with basic executive functioning skills, then there's no way I can expect any of them to lead a larger group. And so we tell them that if, you know, a better, a better me is a better we. So the off season for us is really about individualized growth in the mental quadrant, the physical quadrant, the technical and the tactical. And, um, you know, in that winter time, we're really looking at just kind of reintroducing a lot of that to kids and 
and looking for red flags and 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 saying, okay, well, maybe we need to work on this aspect a little bit. Um, and having really honest conversations with kids too. Like I'm not about to, you know, like I'm not going to yell at a kid, but I, what I will say is, hey, listen, you know, you're 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 not showing up as much to our our sessions as I think you know our standard would be. Tell me about it. What's the reason why? You know, and um, sometimes you have great reasons, and you're like, well, all you got to do is tell me, you know, and now we can start to build that communication um, and that relationship. And then sometimes it's, well, I just don't really want to do it. And then you're like, well, okay. You know, so it's going to, you're going to have to figure out if, if this is really what you want to do, because we are inclusive, right? We are, we are going to be very inclusive as a program. Like I got a Jersey for everybody. Um, but we have very exclusive, uh, standards. And so once you get in, it's, it's, you really have to elevate, um, to stay in, uh, at the level that we think is championship level. And that's a, that's a constant battle. Like, you know, for me to look at you and say, I got 150 kids and I got 151 of them who are all like all in, it's just not, it's just not reasonable and it's not possible. But I also have kids who, Hey coach, like I just can't get, I can't give you the winter because I'm working or I got to be there for my mom's uh, my mom and dad work. And I take care of my little brother and sister, but I'll be there in the summer. And, you know, and it's like, Hey man, you're good with me. Like, and if anybody says anything, you tell them to come talk to me because you and I have spoke, we got a plan. And so the biggest thing is like, if I got 150 kids, I have 150 plans. You know, there's not one plan that's the same between any coach, any player, any family in my program. I like that. The end there, if you have 150 kids, you have 150 plans. That's, that's really well said. Um, before we get into the the halftime adjustment and kind of the, the practice planning and things in the season, we wanted to finish kind of the off-season discussion with, you know, how do you kind of decide on that that difference between altering your X's and O's to always fit your personnel and then kind of keeping those similar tenets of this is we do what we do? Um, you know, because Todd and I talk to lots of coaches, whatever the sport, there's so much on social media, whether it's basketball or football, you could, you could spend years just sifting through this new thing or that new thing. So how do you kind of in your program do that balance for just X's and O's wise of in the off season, we're going to change this, but keep this. Well, I think it's, it starts with your player evaluation. Like how, how are we determining what scheme we're going to run? Um, it, it really comes down to those player evals. I'll have every staff member, uh, we'll break it in by position at the varsity. You do your positional group at the frosh and soft level. It's broken into thirds or fourths, but we're going to do a comprehensive eval of every player, um, both on field and off the field. And then we look at those numbers, right? And let's say, let's say si our size rating, it's a one through five scale, like five being what we would call all conference level or collegiate. And four is varsity, three is JV, two is sophomore and freshman, or one is freshman. And if we see that our size is down, right, let's say we're threes, like we just don't have a lot of big kids, which is kind of where we're at this year. Like we just don't have a giant group of young men. Um, okay, well, how does that change what we're doing from a schematic standpoint? Now, I don't believe in throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like I think that if we're going to run a spread RPO offense, my offensive coordinator has to continue to run what he is, what he is believed that what he believes in. Okay. Um, and if we're a wide zone scheme, then, and we don't have the personnel to run a gap scheme, 
then let's not focus on gap scheme. Let's let's get let's get everything in a bucket and let's see what we're going to keep and pull out. Let's toss the buckets that we're not going to use, but we're still going to stay foundationally sound because it's not just a one year thing. Like we're trying to build sustained success going back to your original question, right? So it's like sustained success is also about keeping your curriculum consistent so that freshmen or eighth graders can learn and come into your program. So vernacular is not going to change. That's for one thing. Like we always keep the same terms so that kids can learn. Um, but the scheme might tweak a little bit. Let's say we have an all American middle linebacker and we're a three, three stack, but we feel like we can get him down on the line more. So now we're going to go and we're going to look at how do we get to an even front with this kid creating some issues off the edge. And it's, you're right. Like, I mean, I'm in the clinic season and like, I go to these clinics and it's like, I love clinics, don't get me wrong, but like it's kind of overwhelming to me because I can't, there's just no possible way you can process all the information that you're taking in, you know? And so for me, it's like, what do I want to get better on? Like, you know, if I'm a defensive backs coach, what are my kids doing on film that I need to improve upon so that I can become a better teacher to them? Um, and And everything else, if I got time, I might dive into one extra thing that I feel like is going to better me, like as a head football coach, I'm not calling the O or the D, um, but I'm always going to be looking at what offenses are doing because I have to prepare in case I have to call an offense. You just don't know what avenue, like how I'm going to have to pivot at some point. Uh, but with my staff, you know, I let the defense, I let the coordinators really set the, 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 the uh, theme for the year. Um, I asked them, you know, what are we going to hang our hat on? And then we're going to build off of that with that coach's development plan. Um you know, but like, I try to keep it as consistent as we possibly can. We, you know, if you make a coordinator shift, like we did two years ago, we completely changed our defense. We went from a four, two, five to a three, three. Um, and so that was a big shift in uh, like, we had to kind of get our ducks in a row, but like, now that we're in the second year of this, um, my philosophy is like, we are not changing a whole lot or even adding anything. We're just getting a lot better at what we, what we do, what we do, because there's gotta be familiarity. All right, I want to go into halftime adjustments. And I'm going to go a little bit away from, like, I guess, in-game, right, like at, at typical halftime. But I'm going to talk about – I just actually listened to a podcast with Robbie Hummel talked about this, how Matt Painter has changed. And, and football is really good about this, about organizing their plays. Yeah. Right, on their play sheets, especially, you know, basketball, it's more offensively. I guess it can be defensively. But talk about how Matt Painter now has, like, families and, and, and there's a common term, but then there's one – subtle tweak right? right and football is really really good at that right you yeah see football play sheets formations things like that but there's any number of things you can do so i wanted you to talk about a little bit about that about organizing your plays um one so right your your players can quickly mm -hmm. put it out there right we're not in the, we're not in the nfl and you hear some of these whatever but i'm sure that's all very same too i've never been in an nfl yeah. room but and then the second part is I'll, I'll talk about after you do, but now using those and figuring out which ones you're going to use any given week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on how we, how we build our, you know, our, our play sheets, it's again, it, as my offensive coordinator will have his system, my defensive coordinator will have his, but we've got, we've really gone away from the long winded um, vernacular. Like it just, we we're a tempo, we're a tempo offense. So we're really going to try to run uh, as quickly as we can uh, and then obviously slow the tempo down, but we'll just family our play. So 
uh, you know, if it's a wide zone series, maybe it's going to be uh, the city of baseball teams is going to be to the right. The uh, low, the, uh, the mascot is going to be to the left. Okay. So like if it's Washington, you know, we're going to the right. And if it's nationals, it's, we're going to the left. Um, and then if we're doing um, like our counter gap scheme might be hockey teams. And so again, it's the same thing. Cities to the right, logos, to, uh, mascots to the left. And so we use, we use different uh, professional sports um, for that. Our pass schemes, we've really gone to like a one word pass scheme because we feel like uh, the, the will signal in the formation because everything's signaled in from the side, but our uh, offensive coordinator will give one word. And that's all encompassing. That's going to be pass pro. That's going to be uh, the the route combinations as well. And then our players are trained throughout the summer. And then obviously that particular week to uh, how does that scheme change based on the formation or maybe what the defense is giving us. If it's one high or two high, am I capped? Am I uncapped? Um, and that's kind of changed the way that we've been able to call uh, our offenses because, you know, we get up as soon as that ball set. We've signaled in the we signaled in the formation and we've my OC is calling in the one word and we're back on the ball and we're going. Um, so it's it's really conducive. You know, it's really easy to kind of keep the kids in check. Um, so that's kind of how we do that in a very you know low level way on the defensive side. Um, again, we're kind of one word. We use colors for uh, we use bands. We'll use colors for coverages. So, you know, all this, you know, if it's uh it's like a, let's say like a, a red coverage that means we're going to be in a, in a certain type of coverage um and then we'll just attach a number to it so it's like 31 uh the kids look at 31 on the wristband and that that's color coded um with the coverage behind it so it'll be a yellow or it'll be a red cell and 31 will tell them in one word what the front and the blitz is or what the front is and so my back my back eight are just looking at the color because that's really all they need to know and then my 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 three three my stack and my two outside backers are looking at what the call is, um, because that's going to tell them what direction they've got. That tells them like, are we long sticking? Are we are we anchoring down? Are we you know are we attacking the, via the neck of the guy to my right or left, um, or am I blitzing? You know, and so those are the things that I think um, are fantastic with what my coordinators are doing is how they've taken what used to be like, you know, this long vernacular and just come trimming it down to two numbers or one word. And uh, that was something that we clinicianed on uh, quite, quite extensively um, with different co colleges. We went to Tennessee, talked with their offensive coordinator, Alex Golish at the time on how they go to their one word calls. And we just want to make it palatable for the kids. Like, so it's not going to be huge. Like when we go into a game, Again, we're going to have our buckets. We're going to have our buckets of uh, quick game, our you know our play action, our RPO, and we're going to have our vertical game, um, our gap scheme, our zone scheme. But it is not going to be very very big. We feel like if we can formation things with the same type of scheme, but we use formations more, that's a lot more advantageous than having fifty different plays to call from. And from a defensive standpoint, we'll we'll limit it to. Um, I think 20 different calls and my defensive coordinator does an amazing job of picking the calls that he feels like are going to be the best for that particular situation and team. And we don't, we don't divvy off of what's on the wristband. Like there's not a point where all of a sudden he's pulling out a call that we didn't run during, during practice. Cause they'll have that wristband come Monday and that is what we're repping. So it gets to the point where if a coach calls like 22, 
the kids don't even look at it because they already know they already know what 22 is. So they're, they're back at they're they're in their pre-snap alignment. Their eyes are up reading what they're seeing and they're going. Um, I learned that from him. I was the old kind of signaling in defensive coordinator. Um, I, I thought it was quick. I'd go front blitz coverage. It was three signals. But then when he brought this in, I just like blew my mind at how quickly we could get defenses in and get our eyes back up on what we're seeing. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how we, we, we tactically train those things and we'll do it. Uh, in the off season, um, obviously there's a learning curve. So that's probably the biggest thing. Um, we will start with like verbal, verbal and signals. Okay. Um, whether it's offense or defense, and then we'll add just signals. Um, and then defensively, we will add uh, just the color. And then eventually we'll do like a, we'll do like a silent, we'll do like a silent segment in the summertime where everything is, there's no talking whatsoever. Um that my coordinators are the only ones who can signal. So my DC will signal in the number. My OC will signal in the one word. He can say one word. That's it. And there's no communication other than the quarterback going on cadence. And my defense cannot communicate whatsoever. Uh, they just have to learn how to get, get aligned, get ready and go. Um, just because we have to be able to, we have to be able to, to learn how to do things. If there's 5,000 people and a communication is down, you know, we're just trying to hit all those different avenues so that it's more muscle memory than anything. All right. So I'm going to follow up with a little in-game stuff, right? And huh? I think football has a little bit of an advantage, right? Because uh, you got guys up in a booth sometimes. They can kind of see the wide lens. Whereas basketball, yes, you have people looking at certain things. But like, I'll use an example this year. I was like third on the bench for, for Benedictine. And literally the referee's rear end was in my way all the time. So I'm like peeking around, right? So you can't always see it or it's down on the other end and you can't right. quite see that action. So like when you guys go in, you know, get ready, going to halftime, you're talking, guys come down, you know, you got guys up there seeing something, you know, how do you, how are you organizing that to say, Hey, we did this play. We got this counter to it. Right. Mm -hmm. We can, we can get that. When are we going to use it? What are we looking for? Right. What front did they want? What covers yeah. did they do? You know what I mean? Because I sure. think you have a little, little bit of an advantage sometimes from somebody up because they can yeah. see the whole the whole picture as opposed to the small lens on, on the field. So how do you guys organize that? Yeah, I think one of the things that I learned was that like making adjustments at halftime, if you're making them solely at halftime, you're kind of late, you know, because one of the things that we're going to look at is like, you know, everybody comes in with their game plan and then the first couple of series are going to determine how you're going to adjust. And, and, and even we as an offense or a defense is like, who, who do we want to get to the chalkboard first, us or them? And it's always going to be, we want to present them with something that's going to get them, make them uncomfortable so that they have to get to the chalkboard and make an adjustment. Cause a lot of teams won't, a lot of teams will wait until halftime to do that. Um, so for us, we have a very specific way that we're going to communicate uh, with the headsets. Um, so like as a series is going on, we have somebody who's obviously tracking plays um, formation uh, down in distance and so on and so forth. But as when the series ends, um, the defensive unit goes to the screens, the uh, chart is communicating to my box guy uh, what the tendencies were, the basic tendencies were maybe they're, it's all boundary run. Um, he's communicating to the box guy. The box guy is going to be the one who's run, who's watching the point of attack. So he'll be looking at that aspect. Um, and then every one of the defensive coaches on the sideline is watching a different part of the uh, action. Um, I do not because I'm the head coach. So once they go off, I'm looking at specials. But like my outside linebackers coach is going to watch the fields. He's going to watch the field side coverage and um, 
the other gentleman in the booth is going to watch the far side coverage because he has a better angle. And so series ends, they're gathering all their information. When they get the kids down, it starts with the box guy, uh, the spot, the spotter relaying information back to my defensive coordinator. And then all of the assistants are there. And then they give their feedback based on what they saw. Very concise, one sentence, no more than that. And then my defensive coordinator is able to get to the chalkboard and then make any adjustments he needs to make. And so at halftime, we'll kind of keep that same that same idea when we get in. It's like, it's not just everybody talking at once. Like it is one specific person talking, then another person, then another person. Uh, and then when you have the kids in front of you, it, it always goes front to back. So it's going to be D-line, mid-skill, back-skill, and then DC comes in with his points that he needs to make um, as a whole unit. And then we're out the door going into the second half. So as we get into kind of the second piece of our questions here, we wanted to really get into kind of practice development. And the first thing we wanted to talk about with practice, and again, this is true to any sport, um, is kind of that breakdown work versus whole team aspect of practice. And this is especially essential in football, obviously with different positional breakdowns, but um, the, we really wanted to hit on what is a good mix of that in a practice. Um, you know, do you, do you want more whole team? Are you more of a guy that wants more parts and then put it into the whole kind of take us through how do you break that down? I mean, so for us, it, it does come down to like the type of the unit that we're working with. Like, does this group need more whole skill time? I think early on for us, it's always going to be we, we want to teach it in parts. So we're going to start in um, group work um, with our, with our installs film, and then we'll come out. We will do a team walkthrough after individual, after install, because we want to, so positional coaches are going to be talking, going through their chalk talks. Everybody comes out to the field. First period is going to be team walkthrough. So offense is walking through their install. Defense is walking through their install. Um, that's about a 15 minute segment so that we can kind of let the coordinators reaffirm what the positional coaches were installing and maybe clean up any of the loose ends that were miscommunicated because it is high school and oftentimes we don't communicate correctly. Um, and then we'll go to, um, you know, specials. It will be broken up. But then when we go to like positional work, it's going to be small group indie. Then we go to what we call our triangle work, which is basically three positional groups who work in conjunction with each other. So uh, from the defensive standpoint, it would be my my ones, my my outside backers, my corners, and my free safeties. And so they'll work together on, on whether it's perimeter run fit or perimeter coverage, um, you know, tackling together. Uh, and then we'll go to our big our our seven on our you know our seven on seven our inside group, and then we'll finish with team group at the end. Um, and so we're just kind of layering the stressors on and the variables as the practice goes um, so that we can, we can teach, reteach, remediate, teach, reteach, remediate. Um, and then eventually, you know, you get your team segments going towards the end of practice and uh, um, we'll finish off with team. That's just the way that we've done it. Um, it. It has helped because we can teach. Now we'll, we'll take different days in the prep week to kind of target like how much we can really coach so that'll change like that will be like a, a Monday's a mental Monday. So for us, Monday's kind of we have a JV game going on. There's a, it's, it's a lot of walkthrough. But on Tuesday, that's a pretty accurate Tuesday model for us. We call it our tempo Tuesday. 
um, because there's varying tempos throughout that practice. There's going to be coach, there's going to be teach time, walk through. Um, there's going to be coach on tape time where we're not communicating with the kids' mistakes that are made on the field. We're going to wait till we film, watch the film with them. So we're going to, we're going to run these varying tempos with them. Um, and then Wednesday for us is what we call our stress test. And that's going to be less of the individual, less of the small group, more of the situational stuff. And that is all coach on film where we are really trying to find where our cracks are in our scheme, find out what stresses uh, were placed on the offensive scheme and the defensive scheme, and then coach that up on film. And then when we come back on Thursday, which is usually a typical run through for teams, but we'll, we'll full pad on Thursday. And now we're going to have a correct, we're going to have a, a walk through an indie corrections period, a small group corrections period, and then situational work. Um, and that's all done at like breakneck speed. So that's like an hour and 15 minutes, but it's just those points that we can say, Hey, I saw my foot, you know, our footwork uh, at the corner position on the quick game was poor. So we're going to, Re remind the kids and maybe do one final drill on a, on a, you know, a read a pace backpedal and drive just to kind of reaffirm, Hey, this team is all quick game. Like individually, we got to be ready as a unit for that. And, and here's how we're going to do it. And then we'll bring that to small groups. So, you know, that's kind of like one of those things that I let the film tell us what we need. And then when we go back as a group, as a coordinators, um, we'll say, Hey, what do we need more of right now? Do we need more team? Do we need more skill, uh, small group skill? Do we need more, um, you know, you know, half line stuff. Uh, but that's kind of how we do that. So with, within that format, then I want to ask about, uh, you know, utilizing your assistance, right? You talked about your structure of your, yeah. your front to the back defense coordinator, but what are you asking your assistants to do in that thing? Obviously, you know, football, I mean, basketball has group, but you have bigger, different groups, very different techniques, right? For yeah. each for each group. Um, so you know, what are you asking your assistants to do? How are you utilizing them in the, those segments? And then, you know, how much uh, of your voice do you use in practice as as opposed to them? And try to find that balance. Yeah, you know that that fine line. I mean, I'll be honest with you, like uh, I still coach a position. So like my voice is going to be consistent with the deep, with the corners and the safety. Um, but when we're talking about like walkthrough, so that walkthrough period or whether it's a, a blitz, blitz, blitz mesh period, that's going to be my defensive coordinator. Um, you know, that's, that's their opportunity. I want them to have the autonomy, you know, that's where I kind of float back and forth to the offense and defense just to kind of make, that's when I really get touch points on kids. Um, and just kind of, you know, see how everybody's doing. So that's their opportunity. When we go to an indie period, that's going to be all, the, that's all positional coach, right? That's their opportunity to take that game plan that they're, uh, they're the, they're the professional on and, and implement that with their positional group. Um, they're obviously the technique and skill work that has to be done. When we go to like a triangle group, uh, or what we call pods, um, that's when they're coach, we're coaching up a scheme within our position. So they're still coaching their guys up, uh, seven on seven. It's like, we're just kind of staying with our positional group. So me as the corners coach, I am not going to the outside linebackers and saying, you got to do this. Uh, or my outside linebackers coach is not going to the inside backer and say to the kids and saying, Hey, you got to do that. Um, if there needs to be something from a mesh point where there's a miscommunication, then those two coaches will talk, but that, that coach that inside backers coach is going to be the one to deliver that message. 
Um, and that's going to happen the same thing on the offensive side, you know, and then when we go to team time, um, and me as the head coach, like, I'm just like, I mean, I'm the producer of this whole, this organized chaos. Right. So like, um, you know, whether, whether I'm getting the, I have guys on the sticks or I've got music playing, or I've got a competition going on. Um, you know, I picked it up from like, Pat, I we're lucky. I, you know, I go see Northwestern practice a lot. We got a kid there. So like Pat Fitzgerald, I watch him coach and he is, he is like, he just accentuates the practice. Like he finds these pressure points and, and kind of interjects himself into when he needs to be interjected, but he really kind of lets his coaches coach. And, and that's kind of what I want to be as a head football coach is I want to let my, my guys coach those X's and O's and do those skills and techniques. Um, I still fill that bucket by coaching the corners, but like, I, I'm not going to tell my offensive coordinator what he needs to be doing. You know, like that's just not my style, my special teams coordinator, um, I, you know, that's not my style. I want those guys to feel like they are the, they are the man for that aspect. Um, and then, and, you know, it works out well, you know, I think that's something that our guys really value is that they, they get a lot of contact time with their positionals, um, as far as practice and game planning goes. So then, then I, then I gotta, I guess I gotta follow uh, on, on that, I guess. So within those, I guess, individuals, right. Um, and this probably leads into a little bit of the next question too, but like just thought of it as, as you popped up, um, you know, do you guys have core drills you do throughout the year or do you kind of have some things and then, you know, Hey, you got your positionals. This is what we need to get done. Like everyone, you know, there's different ways to skin a cat, right? Like get, get yeah. this done and get them, get the point across. No, I, that's a great question. Like we definitely have our, what we call our non-negotiables. Um, so there will always be a non-negotiables period within our practice plan. Um, and that's usually like a 10, it starts as a 15 minute period in the summertime, because that's like when you're talking like tackling block destruction, ball security, those types of things. And then as the season progresses, it'll get down to a 10 minute and even a five minute segment. Um, but yeah, we will have, we'll have team skills. Uh, we call it our cross training uh, defensively where, we kind of want our guys to all be able to play other positions. So it's a, it's a group of three stations or four stations where all the defensive players will work on a, a different skill set or technique, but uh, it's not specific to their position. So the, the inside linebackers will come over by me and they're going to work like splitting, you know, splitting a, a vertical between a, between two receivers, just like my corners would. Um, but my corners will also come down and work on what we call our gladiator technique. And the reason we do that is, and, and my defensive coordinator, Keith Snyder brought that to us was because our, you know, our defense is built on athleticism, not built on size. So we may need to move a kid, you know, heck or high water at some point. And, you know, this allows us to get some basic uh, technique and it's not a skill because they're not using it in a game just yet, but they're able to kind of have an idea of what they're doing. And then obviously like tackling and block destruction, all those things come in. Um, we will definitely have week to week emphasis on things that we need. Um, maybe we're playing a team that really likes to throw the quick game or, and, or a bubble series, and we've got to work block destruction and we got to work on getting off the block more, the snag technique. Um, so we may emphasize that more, maybe that this offensive line uses a cut technique. And so we'll work on that. Um, you know, so, but those are the things that are kind of specific to that game planning week. Um, the one thing that does change throughout the season is 
we will definitely change our tackling repertoire where we're going to teach you uh, different tools for tackling uh, early on. But like we may get to a week, like I know our first week, we play a really talented running back and he's a bigger kid. So we're going to focus on, you know, um, a hawk roll, a shoe, ankle tackle, those types of things, because we can't like forming him up in a profile tackle isn't going to be advantageous to us. Uh, We're going to work on getting multiple men to the football. Um, But all of those skill sets have been taught um, early on. So now we're just kind of pulling from that repertoire, that bucket that we have on what do we need this week and putting that in and placing an emphasis on it instead of just constantly working things that maybe don't need to be worked that specific week. So the last thing I kind of wanted to hit on about def, about practice planning is, you know, and, and I'm not sure how you guys do it, but I, I'm kind of interested to just delve into, you know, in the planning process of practice, when you sit down to plan that practice, how much voice do your assistants have in that planning process? Is it something where they say, hey, I need blank time to work on blank? Um, or you say, hey, there's 20 minutes today of positional breakdown, you know, choose what you work on during your time. And then my other my other thought on practice development always is, do you have your players give any feedback or voice into that practice planning process? Um, so more into the planning process of practice. Yeah. So starting with the, you know, arcs in, in Illinois, the summer is fairly extensive, you know, you get 25 days of contact. So We'll, we'll take the month of May as a staff with the coordinators to develop what we want our, pract- our, our summer camp practice model to look like. Um, and I'm, I'm one that really wants to lean on, like I'll give them an overarching theme of what I want. Like I want our summer practice model from Monday through Thursday to model our in-season practice model from when we're, when we're actually playing for games because I don't want to trade, I don't want to change um our flow. I don't want to have to recreate a practice plan uh, from a philosophical standpoint come August. I want our kids to get used to how we how we teach. Um, so I'll say, hey, this is what we're, you know, we're going to have mental Mondays, we're going to have tempo Tuesdays, effort Wednesdays, and we're going to have attitude Thursdays, and we're going to teach, you know, it's going to be more walkthrough Monday, it's going to be tempo pattern on Tuesday, more team and stress on Wednesday, and then Thursday is going to be more competition because we're not playing Friday, so we can do a little bit more team stuff and bring, you know, bring a competitive aspect to it. And then we'll lay it out. So it kind of works like in macro to micro. So obviously, you know, you get your days out there, but then we'll work on the week plan and we'll block that out um, on like, okay, first 10 minutes is going to be walkthrough. Then the next 10 minutes is this. And then we'll kind of move into uh, the actual practice plan itself, where we share all the practice plans via Google drive. And so the coaches can fill in what they, what they're doing. I will give them, this is, this is a 20 minute indie block, but you are going to type in what you're doing during that indie. Um, it works for two reasons. First, it allows it, my coordinators can see if the skill sets that are needed are going to be out, you know, being rep during practice, but it also is great for like a reference point um, to look back on like, okay, what have we worked on? What do we need to work on? Um, from that standpoint. So my coordinators really have the final say in what we're doing. Summer, I'm a little bit more rigid because we have a lot of kids. There's a, you know, we're sophomores in varsity, but when we get to like the season, um, our Sunday night meeting is going to be, there's going to be time allotted to, okay, what do we need more of this week? You know, if it's week eight, 
do we need 20 minutes of indie on Tuesday or is that going to be better spent in small group because we have a challenging skill we have a challenging scheme that our kids need to see more of um and our and our coaches will tell me what they need um and uh and then the players from a player aspect of it um we will always ask them on Mondays during our uh, our mental Mondays part of our reflection process is um what do we what do we need to keep doing what do we need to stop doing and what do you know um and so when we say what do we keep doing they'll they'll let us know from a practice standpoint what are things that they're really liking um and then when we say what do we need to stop doing they'll they'll let us know if there's hey like we don't need we don't feel like we need 15 minutes of tackling anymore like can we cut that down to 10 because we'd like to see this that apply to more indie um and then we'll ask them well, what what should we start doing and a lot of times the start doing is where I get the really great ideas of, hey, coach, we want to compete more. You know, can we do like a fantasy football seven on seven where we're, we're keeping points or can we bring the sticks out from month from Tuesday on instead of just on Wednesdays? Because the sticks really help us from a, a cognition standpoint of understanding what their scheme is trying to do. Um, and those are things that really help, you know, and, uh, and sometimes it's like, we want to run more, like we want to do more conditioning because we're, we're a sprint based program. So we're not line, putting kids on the line. Um, but like, yeah, we do give them an opportunity to uh, voice their opinion. And I'm really honest with them. And I say, you know, like, I won't take every suggestion you give, like, you know, that's just not reality. Like I'll, I'll take into consideration uh, and then we'll make the decisions that we need to make because your lens is just here. And my lens is like, six different lenses because I have to see how it impacts the entire program or the entire team. So uh, I think this is an interesting aspect with football. You have one game a week, right? Nine, nine, nine games. Um, every game is really, really important based right. on not everybody gets in, into the playoffs, right? Sure. Uh, whereas basketball, yes, every game is important, but you know, we're all going to the playoffs and if you lose a game in December, it's not going to necessarily kill you. Right. Um, so what are some of the challenges of that, that one week, you know, game a week um, and, and the, I guess the urgency of, of each game. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a pressure cooker. There's like, there's no other way to put it. Like you are in the frying pan. Like it's just, you practice 80% more than you play, you know, in a, in a five day work week. Um, you're going to practice four times and you're going to play once and you, you have to have your best foot forward when you get out there because you don't get a second chance. And in our conference and on our schedule where you don't, there's no layups. Like last year we played uh, three, three semifinalists, uh, two, two finalists, and then uh, three other quarter finalists on our schedule, you know, and seven out of nine teams made the playoffs. Um like that's, that's a tough schedule to get, you know, so you know that you have to be ready to go. So like the idea of kind of finding out who you are week one is not an option for us. Um, and so just placing the importance on that uh, of, we have to, we have to be ready for the pressure that's going to be, be there on Friday night and communicating to our staff and to our players that we've earned that pressure. Like when you get to a certain point of success and everybody wants to beat you and it's the Super Bowl if they beat you, um, you've earned that right, you know, and you have to be ready for that. And the way that we prepare from this point on is going to be, uh, is going to be either detrimental or advantageous to our success. And that goes back to like starting December 1st, the message that we give on the importance of, of 
starting to do hard things as early as we can because winning I'm always like I was I was I'm always surprised that we win like I don't know if it's just me but like I, you know or maybe like when we win I'm like gosh man like that's I'm like can't believe we won you know like and that's 10 years in and because it's so hard to win one one football game and uh you know I was a baseball coach for for 12 years at my former school and like you do get that luxury of okay, well, maybe today wasn't our best, but we're back at it tomorrow, right? And a lot of your learning is done through the experience of the game, whereas we don't really have that luxury. Like we will learn from our wins and losses, but man, there's a whole lot more importance placed on it, especially at the varsity level when you're trying to get into the playoffs. Um, And in our program, like we're not gonna shy away from that. Like I'm not gonna say like, hey, we don't, you know, if we don't get in, it's not a big deal. Like, no, like the expectation is that we get in and the expectation is that we do well in the playoffs. And so um, that, that is a, that is something that even as a head coach, you have to navigate that emotionally as well. And you have to kind of prepare yourself for, for that uh, the intensity of, of those moments, because it's uh, like, it's, it's pretty awesome out there. Like on a Friday night, like it's cool. Todd, before we get to the uh, 30 second timeout, I was just looking at coach's schedule. I don't know what he's talking about. He only has Palatine, Lake Zurich, both Wheaton's Geneva, Batavia, St. Rita in the playoffs. I, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't see yeah. the hard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a cakewalk. It's a cakewalk. <laughs> like playing in the East Suburban Catholic, right, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 30 second timeout, coach, your chance, your dime, your dance floor, anything you want to discuss be about your team, your family, your program, something that's super important to you, uh, a cause of yours, Wh- whatever, whatever you want, flip it on us. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. We're, we're ready for it. We're looking forward to hear, hear your 30 second timeout. My 30 second timeout would be um, for, for other head coaches and other coaches in general to, to not shy away from discussing uh, the demands of, of coaching and being a, a family person, whether it's a husband or a wife, um, and the, the, the highs and lows and that can bring, you know, like it is, you have absolutely need a support system to do it. Um, but it is not easy and there's, it's okay to be vulnerable when, when you need help, talk to people, because I think the coaching community is a wonderful community that understands, uh, that, that calling of being a coach. Cause I truly believe it is a calling. So for those who, who feel like, you know, it's overwhelming and it's hard, like, find somebody to talk to who maybe has been there and done that and get and, and kind of navigate through those times because we're losing a lot of good coaches because of the, the demands of what they believe coaching should be. So just to follow up on that, and we don't usually do follow-ups on this, but just as somebody that's a mental health care worker in a school and, and I applaud you for saying, you know, it's okay to say it's hard. Um, and Todd and I have had this conversation mostly about basketball, but let's tweak it to football for one second. Why do you think, Coach, there are so many people, I mean, if you look at the job boards in Illinois compared to 10, 15 years ago when there was hundreds of applicants per coaching job, now I'm I'm hearing there's there's jobs where it's like 15 applicants. Um, you know, why, why do you think we are in this state that we are in with coaching and how do we improve it? Well, I, th- that's a really loaded question, to be it honest. You know, like it's, you know, you could, you could take the low apple and say financially make it, make it more viable for people, right. By, by paying them more. 
But I, I think even financially, people can get paid a ton of money, but they'll still step away because of what they feel like the emotional and physical demands are of, of the sport. You know, um, I think especially at maybe the varsity level, and I'll speak specifically to football, like there is a lot of expectation to not just run a program, but run a run, not just run your team, but run a holistic program, a community, you know, and uh, that can be overwhelming for people because not everybody walks in with those um, facilities to do it. You know, most of the time people are hired because of their competence in the sport that they're, that they're going to coach. Right. But they're not hired to navigate because of their, their, their extrinsic or their other things that they do really well, their personability, their emotional intelligence, like that's not part of the equation. And so when you step into the head coaching position, so little of what you do is really X's and O's, right? Like that's just my person. Maybe I'm doing it wrong, right? Nope, you're right. You know, but like that, that's a hard thing to do. And then it's like, okay, well, it's not just August through November for football, for fall, yep. you know, cause then there's December and then there's lifting until March. And then there's March until May where you're developing your youth program. And, you know, you have to be present at things if you want to really build your program. And then maybe you see what somebody else is doing and you feel that pressure if they're doing it and I don't do it. What are the parent? what are the, what's a community get community going to think about that? Um, and I feel it too, you know, like I feel those same things uh, that other people feel. I've always been very big on like, I, I just focus on what we're doing so that we can be the, I just want to bring something to the community that people are really proud of, but like um, it can be tiring, you know? And when you're checking on 150 other people, it can be lonely sometimes because who's oftentimes who's checking on you, right? Yep. You know, like your buckets being dipped into consistently because you are a relationship. It is a relationship position where you have to be emotionally connected to people. Uh, and that can be draining if you are not taking the proper care of yourself to fill your bucket back up in any way, shape or form that you need to, you know? Um, and that's a struggle. I still am learning about that 10 years and probably more now than I ever have. Yep. I, I would agree. I was talking to the, off of this, but I was talking to somebody who's actually a head wrestling coach and his quote to me was, uh, I don't have to do it year round, but if I want to do it right, I have to do it year round. I, I, I think there's truth to that statement. You absolutely. Know? So as we get into our last segment, as, as Todd likes to joke with our guests, this is kind of where the wheels sometimes fall off. Um, and we call this quick hitters. This is just uh, some quick hitting questions. Some will be football related. Some I'm going to actually say most will not be football related. <laughs> um, and it's just our opportunity to finish the episode and have some fun with our, our, uh, people we have on. So um, our first one, this is a very hard hitting one. Are you a Nike Adidas or Under Armour guy? I'm a Nike all day. Okay. All right. Favorite like cheat day meal. If you're going to go out, be unhealthy for a day and like, you're like, Hey, I'm getting after it today. What's your favorite cheat day meal? Favorite cheat day meal is I'm a, I'm a, I'm a breakfast guy. So I'm going to do some type of eggs Benedict. Oh, okay. There you go. I like that. All right. So I, we, you know, we know, we know you have daughters. So what's like your favorite father daughter off season activity? Uh, my favorite uh, father daughter off season activity is right now, one day a week, we go to the school and we just do what we call like our, our Pomazac training where we're just like running and jumping and shooting and having fun with each other um, and just spending some time together or just sitting on the couch with them and watching their favorite show. Either one is good with me. Uh, the fastest player you've ever coached on your team or an opponent? Oh, man, that's tough. Oh, gosh, I'd have to think back on that. The fastest kid on our team that I've ever seen 
uh, was probably a wide receiver named Alec Critta. He went to Iowa to play wide receiver. Um, if you um, were going out to eat somewhere in St. Charles, and maybe maybe it's an underrated place, where's like a, a favorite spot to stop? My favorite place in St. Charles to go eat um, is this place called the Townhouse Bookstore in downtown St. Charles. It's like a bookstore slash breakfast place, and it's just like a really nice place to just sit down and get, like, just relax. What's your Friday night superstition, if you have one? Friday night superstition, I uh, pick up my daughters from school, we go get a donut, uh, I drop them off, and then I come back and get ready for the game. Well, now I got to ask, what's the donut of choice? Uh, they get, it's just, I get munchkins for them. Okay. They get munchkins. And now they actually, my other superstition is they started running out through the fog with us and uh, they did it every game for us. And then the one game they didn't do was against Rita and we lost. So clearly that was the reason why. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Right. Um, all right. Last one. Any show uh, you're binging right now? Uh, yeah, I binge a lot of shows. Um, the one show that uh, me and my wife uh, have been binging, which was, was the name of it? Just we just got done watching it. Well, I'll tell you what I binge a ton of. I, I binge a ton of American Pickers. Like if you're asking me like okay. what I'm binging, like I can go from like 8 a.m. until like 8 p.m. watching that show. <laughs> Interesting. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, Coach, I, I've been a longtime Twitter follower. For those of you that don't follow Coach on Twitter, please do so. Uh, he has a ton of great material, uh, whether you're a basketball coach, a baseball coach, a wrestling coach, high school, professional, college um and and please follow him and his things coach thank you so much for being on we really appreciate your time no man it was a pleasure man thank you for the honor of being here thank you for listening to another episode of the after the timeout podcast in concert with the illinois basketball coaches association please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen for more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.